Well, hello there, and welcome to Further Every Day, the podcast where we explore current events through the lens of the Christian worldview. But of course, uh, the worldview has a lot of different facets, and today we're going to be exploring each of those facets from different chairs. I'm Jonathan Fiala, your host. I'm sitting in the chair of theology today myself, and to my left, I've got Jennifer. How are you this morning? I'm good. I will be sitting in the chair of philosophy today. Dealing with the rigor that the Christian must bring. And to her right, we got Miss Nikki. How are you? I am very good. And I am going to be sitting in the chair of culture. Dealing with the culture that has sprung up and the counterculture that the Christian must bring. And to her right, or her left, excuse me, we got Josh. How's it going, good sir? Doing well. Yourself? I'm doing good, and I'll be sitting in the chair of politics today. It's important to remember that politics is a government is a God-ordained institution. Why would the Christian leave their inheritance of a good nation that was founded so that you were the ruler, you were the one doing the le- legislating? You're part of that God-ordained institution, and we have the best system currently installed. And we're going to make that case today. But if you've read the topic for the podcast, it is, what is biblical justice? So let's define, because there's a lot of talk about this kind of justice, that kind of justice. Let's define biblical justice. And people will say, well, we've tried that. I'm going to submit to you that America has never fully submitted to a perfect biblical justice, but it's the closest thing that's been tried in the last few hundred years. And you know, some people are going to get... Listen through to the end. Listen through to the end, because I'm going to say some stuff that might ruffle some conservative feathers, might ruffle feathers in this group. Uh, I hope not. So just be willing to hear it out. Let's talk about justice. But before we do, we have to define our terms. Uh, Jennifer, do you have the Webster's 1828 for us? Yes. So from Webster's 1828, uh, the definition is justice, right, In practice, equity is the impartial distribution of justice, or the doing that to another which the laws of God and man, and of reason, give him a right to claim. It is the treating of a person according to justice and reason. Okay. And there are two examples pulled from the Bible, because you got to remember, Daniel Webster looked to a certain source. (laughs) And if you can pull those two for me, and the second definition. Sure. Uh, If someone wants to pull up the Bible verses, I'll read the second definition. Uh, Justice, impartiality, a just regard to right or claim, as we must in equity allow this claim. Well, Psalm 98.9 deals with the Lord shall judge the people with equity. And Isaiah 11.4, with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity. So those are the two citations there. Josh, I want you to get the Wikipedia definition pulled from 2022, and then let's go to a different definition. But first, Josh. Yes, the Wikipedia definition pulled from 2022. Justice, in its broadest sense, is the principle that people receive that which they deserve, with that interpretation of what then constitutes deserving being impacted by, upon by numerous fields with many differing viewpoints and perspectives, including the concepts of moral correctness based on ethics, rationality, law, religion, equity, and fairness. The state will sometimes endeavor to increase justice by operating courts and enforcing their rulings. So, Miss Nikki, that's a cultural definition. And what's wrong with 
the culture defining some of these terms? What 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 kind of? Well, we should always fall back on on what the Bible claims. And the the Hebrew word for justice, and I'm going to mess this up. I'm going to spell it for you. It's M I S H P A T. I'm not sure how the correct pronunciation for that is, but that means verdict, formal decree. So some of the the definition of here is the act of sitting as a judge, hearing a case, and giving a proper verdict. Now, that's very important, a proper verdict, because you want to match the crime, the the payment with the crime, um, to make right a justly ordered society. That's what I, that's the part I love the best, a justly ordered society. Society has to function under a certain order. So I kind of want to throw this around the room because you, you, you look at how the term has been defined. You, you, you see what the biblical word means. It means effectively someone arb- arbitration over what is right and wrong. Now, the cultural def- the cultural definition I think is really interesting and it's kind of telling how how broad it is and how much inference is allowed as to what is right and wrong from a theological standpoint, just chair of theology here. Um when you start to define with man's reason the things that God has set out and God has implemented, you can very quickly go down the rabbit hole. God is the source of our definitions. He's the source of our authority. I want to move over to the chair of philosophy. When we have man's reason starting to articulate something that God has not said, how, how, does, that, how does that trail go? Well, it leads us to confusion no longer have a um, a solid ground to stand on. I mean, just look at the definition from 1828. Where did justice come from? It comes from the law of God and reason. And that reason, I think it's implied, also comes from a basis of understanding uh, God and morality through a Judeo-Christian lens. But when we get to 2022, it's what people deserve there's many viewpoints, numerous fields, so many different perspectives, and we've just lost this foundation from which we can get objective answers. There's nothing concrete that we can grasp onto when we're searching for justice when we don't have God. It's all up in the air. It's relative. Yes. And the relativity can really cause a problem. When you have an issue with the relativity of of justice or of right and wrong, and when justice should be applied and how it should be applied relatively, that does something to the culture. That and, and I would say that it warps and twists it. So, chair of culture, what would you say that uh, that is accomplished? What do we see falling out with this change in changing in definitions? Well. I'm going to bring up this uh, Bible verse, Ecclesiastes 8.11. It's from the Berean Study Bible. It says, When the sentence for a crime is not speedily executed, the hearts of men become fully set on doing evil. So in the last uh, year, last year and a half, we've heard about uh, banning the police department. 
Well, what happened in those cities that started those cries? Tremendous amount of crime. Mm -hmm. People are not afraid to break the law. We have gotten to the point where we're hearing of these outrageous crimes. There's always been outrageous crimes, but we're hearing it. It's happening more often. And it's because when when, uh, crimes are not being punished the way they should be, then you're going to increase crime in your in your society, and I think it could also be um, one of the one of the reasons that we may be seeing a lot of the vigilante mm-hmm. um, activity. I can't remember the name of the case, but it was the uh, the the three men who shot a black man and they were put to jail. I can't remember right, but they Ahmaud, weren't arrested uh, at first. They uh, were, yeah, yeah, Ahmaud Aubrey, right? And I f- I think that you can make a, a reasonable case that. Perhaps that feeling in them um, of needing to take the law into their own hands comes from uh, observing the world around them, that we have descended into something that looks a lot like getting close to lawlessness. Well, so, and here's the issue. I, 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 that's perfect, spot on. I love the way that Andrew Claven articulates it. He says, when you give the devil the power of the truth and you rob people of the ability to speak truth in a way that is that is loving and kind, you create monsters. And where he's going with that is there's no conversation about fatherlessness in certain demographics where you have 50% of the crime being committed or the homicidal crime being committed by one group of people. As some stats would say, we can't talk about that. And it's not a racial thing. It's a there is systemic discrimination in the United States, and it has to do with the welfare state actively ripping apart families. That's the issue. That's the issue. And so what we've done with justice is we've perverted it in the sense of we're now looking at giving certain people preference where that's not the solution to the issue. We can all agree that there's a serious issue here, but I want to also go over to the chair of politics because this gets interesting. In the chair of politics, uh, I think I think you'll, you'll, you'll have a field day with this. What do we see being done with justice today with these other names? And we're going to get to them. We're going to get to these other types of justice that are being performed. But um, what do we see occurring with the politicization of justice. Yeah, and I would like to kind of step into the chair of culture because I think that the chair of culture and the chair of politics, especially with this issue, kind of get intertwined. And specifically in relation to this topic of justice, the definition from Wikipedia 2022 is very interesting to me. There was a word used there and it said differing. That right there is the problem with justice in today's world. Justice is a shifting goalpost to where the standard is determined by separate justices. So one justice might say, this deserves a harsher sentence. Another justice might say, this deserves a lighter sentence. Another justice might say, we are not going to prosecute them on the basis of this crime. Another justice might say that we will prosecute someone on the basis of this crime. But my thing that's the problem with all of that 
is that that's all fine and dandy, except for one thing. That is a shifting goalpost across the board upon what justice is. That means that justice is not objective in any sense of the word. Justice is completely opinionated. And when a justice is opinionated, we have what we have right now, where we are looking at a Supreme Court nominee who can provide a lighter sentence on pedophilia or on many other different rulings. Because yeah. justice is opinionated. Now, that's not just for her. That's across the board. That's for the conservative right. justices. That's for the liberal justices. I mean, what do you see on the Supreme Court? You'll get a case that comes to the Supreme Court, and it's pretty much party line on what the justices are supposed to vote. But that's that's the highest court in the land, and the highest court in the land is opinionated. So you get to that point, and you start asking these questions, and you say, why is justice shifting? Is this a really a good system? And it, I, I'm actually going to say that it is a good system, but it's been corrupted I because would, of because of the values. Where justice and arbitration only work if what's in play. Chair of chair of culture, I know, I know, I know you want to say something here. I do want to say. Oh, I want to re refer to what Josh was saying here. Okay. Is is so? My question becomes: do, Does politics roll down into culture or does culture roll up to politics i no, mean culture rolls over into politics and and the, the 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 reason i say that is because it, and yes politics do affect culture it's enforcing what the culture has already decided yeah they the two form a positive feedback loop correct the culture mm -hmm. creates people who but become it's a good politicians to think yeah. correct and it's good it's good to think about it but the the problem the base problem that I'm that I'm driving at here is and and we really need to take away is arbitration is only possible when we all agree on what is morally correct. Yes. So where do we get what's morally right? Do, is it some sort of game theory where three monkeys are 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 talking about beating up you know a fourth one and they say well wait maybe not because that's a female we need to we need to produce and we need to grow up and 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 they they think this out. That doesn't happen. I'm sorry. That that's not the case. Even animals, a lot of animals, not all, a lot of animals have some basic instincts and understanding of what is right, what is fair. And Michael Shermer and people like him will come across and say, "Well, that proves that we're evolved. It does not. It just proves that we're made by the same creator and designer." The idea of a game theory doesn't work because it breaks down. Uh, what what was a there was a leader in the 20th century who really wanted to rid the world of disease and poverty and establish a, a new race of people who were going to not feel pain oh, yes. and suffer. All it took was the eradication of um, a couple hundred million people. Right. Right? Maybe a billion, give or take. Yeah. His name was Adolf. Hitler. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Maybe you've heard of him. And banned. Uh, anyway, but... <laughs> <laughs> pretty soon, pretty soon. But keep that in mind. That's not where we get our standard. We're going to be applying to a higher standard. Because if you ask someone, is it okay to napalm babies for fun? Anyone who's intellectually consistent will obviously recoil and say, no, that's, that's vile. So where do we get the standard? Well, it's imprinted upon us by our maker. And we actually see a standard of justice being carried out from that person who gives us, that entity that gives us 
our standard. And you see that start in Genesis 2, 16 through 17. Uh, I was wondering, Jennifer, if you could uh, get that for me. Yes, Genesis 2, 16 to 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So we see the first law being given. And and, and by the way, I'm, I'm sorry if this seems kind of pedantic, but it's important to kind of follow how we got to where we are. Genesis 3, 8 through 24, it's a bit of a long passage. I don't think we're going to go into it, but you see the first sentencing going down. You see the first time where God has given the law in Genesis 2, uh, 16 through 17, and you see the first violation in early Genesis 3, and then you see the sentencing. God hears each defendant. Man, what have you done? This woman gave this fruit to me and ate. The woman you gave me, God, it's your fault. Woman, the serpent that you made, God, it's a serpent's fault, told me and beguiled me. So God judges a serpent. He judges Eve and he judges Adam. And he gives them each their sentence and executes it, ultimately by kicking them out of the garden and cutting them off from the tree of life. But God, throughout the Noahic time frame, the Adamic to Noahic time frame, was judge, jury, and executioner. He held that space. And if, you, and if you're into dispensationalism, obviously you can carry dispensationalism like a little bit too far, but God was showing, I believe, that man could not live under God's direct rule and reign and still be righteous. In Genesis 9, 5 through 6, God institutes a new form of government. Miss Nikki, could you get Genesis 9, 5 through 6 for us? Um, this is after yes. they get off the ark. Okay, so you don't want me to read it in this hand thing? Uh, yeah, okay. Uh in Genesis 9, 5 through 6, we see the Lord handling over the judicial, legislative, and executive branches to man. Surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast will I require it. And at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whosoever sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. What does that sound like to y'all? What? Well, you know the it's blood blood for blood yeah blood it's for death, blood it's death penalty god instituted capital punishment i know josh is dying here to say something i was going to say sangre per sangre <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness so you see that god instituted the death penalty now some people are going to recoil here at the death penalty we're going to talk about that and i i want to say that the death penalty has been executed pardon the pun in a horrible, horrible manner in the United States and in Great Britain. And it's been very unjust and ungodly. There are parameters for the death penalty. You want to talk about the people who died who were innocent. Just don't take one of God's laws and violate it and then wonder why things don't work well. We're going to talk about that. But moving on, just for just to see how our society has been created and how it 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 worked out. Let's go to Exodus 18, 19 through 22. Josh, if you can get that in a moment for us. We see what would later model for the American judicial system. In fact, our founding fathers referenced this. This is where we get some of our concepts and ideas 
uh, Exodus 18, 19 through 22, uh, this is where Jethro from, comes from Midian, Moses' father-in-law, and says, Moses, you're, you're basically a monarch, and you're doing everything. You are adjudicating over every single issue. Here's my solution to your problem. We see what would later be the model for the American judicial system in this passage. And it reads as such. Hearken now unto my voice. I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to Godward, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. And thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk and the work that they must do. Moreover, thou shalt provide out all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all seasons, and it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge. So shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. So here's where we get our judicial system. And again, Founding Fathers really focused in on that. We're going to home in in just a moment. But I know Josh also is, he and I talked off, off air about this before yesterday, and uh, Exodus 20 through 23 is where we see the beginning of the Levitical law, if you will, uh, and we see what, what's used all the way up to Samuel. And we were talking about how that was kind of the, the microcosm codification of what God saw as righteous and just. And some people will say that those laws were just for the Israelites, but we talked about descriptive and, and, and prescriptive laws. I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot, but do you have anything to say about that, about how some of those laws aren't necessarily applicable to people in America because they were dietary or sanitary laws? Well, yes, I was going to actually step into that for a second, chair of politics, stepping in a chair of theology for a second. The... When you well, actually, I shouldn't start it like that. When you do read Leviticus or you read Exodus, there is a very easy way to tell if it's referencing everyone or if it's referencing the children of Israel. It'll say it. <laughs> I, I, I'm not joking here. If you read the scriptures of Leviticus, it will make a very important distinction to say that this applies to everyone outside. If it does apply to the outsiders in the other lands. For example, you go to Leviticus 18, it explores the idea of sexual immorality or forbidden sexual practices. God at the end of that passage will say that this applies not only to this land, but to every nation and every land. So there will be a distinguishment, but in the case of 20 through 23, you could make a case that this was just for the children of Israel. I would say that it was not just for the children of Israel. I would say that this was a very universal law. Because there's no real, because it's not saying that this is for, like specifically for the children of Israel, or at least that's not implied by the passage. The, the Lord will actively interject and say, I am the Lord your God. You will be whole, you will do this because you are a holy set apart people unto me. Usually with the medical, and, and again, you may find some, some, some exception to this, but usually he says, I am the Lord your God. You will be a holy people unto me do this. He says that with circumcision. He says that with the dietary laws. He says that with the sanitation laws and the laws with leprosy. Uh, again, you might find some exceptions, but generally there seems to be a delineation between the moral law 
of the 617 uh, laws and the prescriptive laws for the Jewish people. So we, we get a lot of our legal system from that, and like it or hate it, there were three options. There were three options, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to those in just a moment. But as you continue through the Bible, you will see that this Mosaic Law is implemented by Moses, Joshua, the judges, and we can't keep the law. It always falls short. And then we do something unique with Samuel during Samuel's time. Samuel's boys, his sons, were wicked. And what did they cry out for, chair of politics? What did they want to fix the problem? Give us a king. <laughs> Give us a king. What was the king replacing in that theocracy? God. God. It was replacing yeah. God. And, and that's not conjecture. Samuel spells it out when he's talking to Saul at one point. I'm in for Samuel right now. And that he spells it out to the people. You had God as your king and you wanted someone else. That right there, folks, that is where we start to see things turn because God says, look, he's going to disobey my precepts. He will, I say, you know, God says, you can't take more than this. You can't take more than that. You can't take more wives than this many. You can't do these things. Guess what David did? Man for God's own heart. All of it. Guess what Solomon did? All of it times a hundred times ten, <laughs> like literally times ten. Uh, uh, it, you know, and then and those were good kings. Keep going to Rehoboam. Do I, need I say more? So now we see what has happened, and then again they still fell underneath the biblical law, but then Christ comes. Christ dies. He's our ultimate king, and we have the Spirit indwelling with us. But something happens with, with God's people. God's people becomes a wider tent, because God always meant Israel to be an evangelic nation. Mm -hmm. They didn't do too good at that. The tent grew, if you will. The family of believers grew exponentially right after Christ's death. And uh, we co-opt, we came into cultures that had prisons. This is a new thing. If you're looking historically, you're seeing a new thing in Christianity is that all of a sudden the Bible's talking about in the New Testament people who have, were having to suffer in jail, in prison. That is not something that is done except in the Old Testament where they were taken into captivity, which is more of a slavery situation than a, than a prison thing. So I, I want to make that really clear because it's, it's something that's different. Well, we do see prisons in the Old Testament. From Egypt, correct, which is the nation that God uses to basically personify wickedness. Correct, and that. So I, I just want to put that out there. Bear with us. Look, I am pro justice, I, and we all want our streets safer. But let's talk about what works and what doesn't. Starting with something that does work, the United States of America was a unique system that, in the founding of the American nation, our Founding fathers wanted to go back as much as was possible to a theocracy, but that's not possible because we don't have God dwelling, you know, in a cloud by fire and 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 smoke, right? We don't have that. But what did they depend on? They depended on the Christian ethic. If I can read this from from John Adams in a letter in a 1798 letter to the Massachusetts militia, 
and I believe it was October 11th, uh, 1798, he's talking about what would make our Constitution work and what would break it. And he comes to this phrase in the last part of the letter, avarice, the love of money, ambition, the love of self, revenge, gallantry, would break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through a net. Our Constitution was made for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other people, is what he's speaking of. Mm-hmm. So, from the theology chair, and I want to kind of throw this around the room, when you are looking at America, you are looking at something that was founded in, and is formed imperfectly by imperfect men living in very imperfect situations. Uh, George uh, Washington and Thomas Jefferson called slavery the peculiar institution. They owned slaves, but they couldn't. One of them could not get rid of his slaves legally until he willed it at his deathbed that they could be right. released. That uh, they, they were caught up in this awful, sinful world, but they were trying as as they could. I'm not justifying that. I'm saying they were in a weird situation. But America was founded underneath the principle that only people under the influence of the Holy Spirit and with the worldview and the precepts and principles of the Bible could run with it and run in it. I want to throw this to the chair of philosophy now. When you have people who are a homogenous culture not talking about race, because it was a melting pot back then, it's a melting pot now. When you have a homogenous culture when with the same beliefs and ideologies, you can have a free society. What starts to break down philosophically with a country that is founded on a homogeneity of beliefs when we allow multiculturalism or relativism into the picture. Well, it's exactly what Josh was describing earlier with the shifting goalpost. Um, we have now allowed groups of people who are diametrically opposed to the Judeo-Christian worldview. And I think that was an important distinction that you made, that it's not even necessarily people who are Jewish or are Christian, but people who recognize the inherent worth in humans on a foundation of Judeo-Christian principles. Now, people might not want to recognize that that comes from Christianity, but where else is it to be found? It's And we can see that in today's society now. When you take away the foundation of Christianity, you end up with all the relativism. So what is the solution? We have to go back to the basics. We have to go back to the foundation. Why are we having such disagreements on such fundamental issues? It's because people don't have the same um, basis for how they're drawing their conclusions. Their thought processes are going Total opposite directions. And this is where the culture wars come from, because you'll have people who say, oh my gosh, and again, I I don't want to dive in too hard on the current political issue of uh, March 2022, because if you're listening another time, but right now, 
there are people saying, there's, they're nominating a SCOTUS nominee because because she's black and because she's, you know, you know, diverse. And some people are saying, hey, they're nominating a Supreme Court nominee because she's black and diverse. Mm-hmm. There's a fundamental shift in what we, A, what our definition of terms mean, but B, what constitutes good and evil. And by the way, I would say some of this, again, comes to institutional decay, but we'll get to that in a moment. But that lends very well up to the chair of culture. When you start to see culture wars coming out of bad theology and Mm -hmm. bad philosophy, you'll start to see people who now it's no longer about right or wrong. It's about your tribe. What does that do to an America that was founded underneath the ideals of Judeo-Christianity? Well, what you have is a a culture war, which becomes those that want to hold to our founding fathers and what they believe, and those who have no idea that uh, most of them don't even really know what our founding fathers believed. And they've moved on to something else. Now, the society that they're want is in is a fantasy it doesn't exist it never has existed um but they think that they're going to make this utopia by going down this different road and we of us who are looking saying wait a minute you don't understand the consequences the bible is full of consequences of what you're doing and you know in um i want to bring this one up is hosea if i can hosea 4 6 my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. What we don't hear in the culture today is consequences. There, when we when we uh, defined justice earlier, it's a justly ordered society. God is not a god of confusion; He's a god of order. When He said, "Don't take of this this tree, don't take this fruit of this tree," it was for your protection. Everything God ordains and says is for your protection, for your good, and for your prosperity. But we have, like Eve in the garden, risen up and said, you know what? I can think for myself, and I'm going to make my own decision. And there you have it. So now we're, we're in a culture. We're not just in a culture war, but we're in a fallen society. We just don't realize it yet. And so that starts to do something to politics. That starts to shift how we interact, and that creates some interesting impediments. But because what's righteous is no longer righteous, what kind of laws do we see? What kind of things are now legal? What kind of things come out? Could you say things like abortion? Of course. But I also wanted to go into something you referenced earlier about the Black Scotus nominee. I'm just going to say something. I believe the Republicans nominated a black SCOTUS nominee, but it was rejected. Oops. 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 I, I guess inclusion. But see, this goes to a bigger issue, though. I, and, and, I, I'm, and, I'm not trying to pander. I'm not trying to make a joke. But I'm, I am trying to get to a bigger issue that this is going to what Miss Nikki was saying and what you were saying about tribalism. When you brought that out on tribalism, I want to I tee you up for a little bit more, more, more data. The last black SCOTUS nominee that got in, Clarence Thomas. Do y'all remember what they got him on? They tried to get him on drinking. They tried to get him on other things. Do you, do you know what they got him on? They got him on 
there's something, it's a, it's a eyelash, a pubic hair, a small short hair, whatever on his diet Coke in the office. And the man goes, who put this short curly on my, on my diet Coke? I mean, the dude is making an office joke when there's something nasty in his drink. Yes. He should be, you know, excommunicated, obviously. Obviously, obviously, this man hates women. Obviously, this man is a vile, you know, sob. He's not. He's not a fun guy to be in the office with. No, 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 no. Excommunicate him and ruin his life. He said, "I would never have taken the nomination if I had known what they would do to me and to my family." So, just for the note, I think Republicans have been very, very disproportionately kind to this SCOTUS nominee. I just want to say that. And that kind of goes to further the political tribalism and the culture war. I want you to go ahead and keep going. So going to the topic of abortion, this is a matter that has been decided in the Bible, but we have let in these other gods, whether that be literal other religions, or we have let in the ideas of atheism, Or we let in the ideas of consumerism, and we worship at those altars now. And because we worship at those altars, what I decide is right is right. And if there's a group of people who are on the same side that I'm on, then they're right because they're on my side. Yes. What is wrong with this? It is based upon what you think is right. But what happens if there is a general standard, a set standard across the board to where it says you're wrong? Because if there is, there is a set standard out there that says that you're wrong. Or more importantly, it says that what the thing that you're trying to uphold is wrong. Then we need to submit to the set standard. And in the case of abortion, it is a people who... Either they acknowledge that there's a set standard and they don't care, or they have completely thrown out the set standard, and we are living in a time that is anti-Bible, and it is anti-universal truth. Or not universal truth, sorry, apologize. Absolute truth. And that right there is what's crept into our politics, masterfully, masterfully said. And on the note of upholding things that are not biblical, I'm, I'm going to say this, and I— Please, I pray that I don't lose you here. Prisons are not a biblical concept. There's something that we've picked up. And and again, feel free to disagree with me, anyone on the panel, if you wish. Uh, But prisons are not a biblical concept. In the Bible, we see corporal punishment, restitution, and capital punishment. And I want to go to the scriptures. Don't take my word for it. I want to go to the scriptures to see where we find these things. You want to know how to run a country right? Go to the Bible. There's a book for this. you, You could say that the one who manifested the world from his mind and heart wrote an instruction manual. And so I I want to get the Deuteronomy 22. 25 uh, verse. Jennifer, can you get that for me? Yes. So this is talking about capital punishment. But if a man find a betrothed damsel in the field and the man force her and lie with her, 
then the man only that lay with her shall die. So that verse goes in further, and we could dive into the issue, but there's some extenuating circumstances that are allowed for in this case. Not going to get into that too far on this. I believe we've already talked about it on a different podcast. But suffice it to say, God had the option of capital punishment on the table, and if the woman and her father wanted the man to make her a honest woman, that was possible. Specifically, if she wasn't betrothed, and there's some ambiguity in the language as to whether or not that specific event was forced or not. Correct. So let's let's leave that to the side. But capital punishment's on the table here. Let me ask you something. How many times can that guy rape a woman if this is in place? Once. How many times do we have repeat offenders rape women? Uh, countless. Not just women, but children. Other men. men. I mean, it's speaking on prisons. I was about to say, what's what the number the one? <laughs> number one place where people, men specifically, are put through this in prison and nothing is done about it. Everyone knows about it. Nothing is done about it. You are more likely to be raped in America if you are a man than a woman. If you include prisons. Mm -hmm. So let's not make this an issue of male versus female. Let's make this an issue of evil. But let's go to the next one. Miss Nikki, if you can get the next verse on restitution, Exodus 22, 7. If a man gives his neighbor money or goods to keep for him, and it is stolen from the man's house, if the thief is caught, he shall pay double. Please steal my stuff. I actually Please steal my stuff. I, actually, I would love to get double from you. I actually think this is a uh, awesome punishment. It, it makes it really, sense. It really is because not only are you going to make restitution, but when you're done, you can go on and live your life. Yeah. And and exactly. for people who are very turned off by the idea of capital punishment or corporal punishment, in the Bible, restitution is the one that we see most often. That that is really the primary um, source of justice because most of the time, what we encounter with people are not needing capital punishment. So, you'll actually see a lot of cases where that is an option, where it's either capital punishment or restitution. In the case of manslaughter, for example, you'll see that uh, the man is allowed. He's allowed to either work off that person's, you know, if you if you accidentally kill the the husband of the house, that man, it, the family can ask for the death penalty, or they can get an alimony check for the rest of their life for the loss of resources. Guess what was more often historically taken? That guy got to live. But then, of course, there's corporal punishment. And again, we don't want you to but take you know your work. You, you really need to spend a moment there because if you accidentally killed somebody unintentionally, there are six Levitical cities of refuge. Correct. Now, one thing you have to understand during that time was what they called the blood avenger. And we already kind of talked about that a little bit. The nearest, if you murder somebody intentionally, your nearest relative, male relative, was to avenge your blood. That was just the way it was. It's cultural. So the man who accidentally killed somebody, remember we've always talked about in biblical times, it's family, tribe, country. 
That's the way you're very, yes. very dedicated and loyal to your family. Uh, that blood, the, the person who committed the crime accidentally could find refuge in these cities. I was also thinking, the if you want the biblical support for that, by the way, go to Numbers 35. Numbers 35 goes into really big detail about these refuge cities. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I want to get you, Josh, real quick. Uh, Deuteronomy 22, 2 through 5, or sorry, 2 through 3. Um, in addition to restitution, there was also corporal punishment. Yes, there was. Deuteronomy 25, 2 through 3. And it shall be, if the wicked man be worthy to be beaten, that the judge shall cause him to lie down and to be beaten before his face, according to his fault by a certain number. Forty stripes may he, he may give him, and not exceed less. If he should exceed and beat him above these with many stripes, then thy brother should seem vile unto thee. Reasonable, just punishment. No more than a certain amount, because you do not want to be inhumane about it. And there were... There were very few cases of this, but this was a public gallows-type punishment, or not, not gallows, stocks, excuse me, stocks-type punishment. Devil's advocate slipping in here. I do think there are some practical things about some of these ideas. I'm saying that these are correct, that these are the biblical ideas, but let's say in the case of someone who steals and you have to pay back double. Well, let's say that person gets that that ruling that you have to pay this person back double. What happens if that person kills themselves and then the person never gets their money back? Okay. <laughs> uh, ultimate justice is not found in this life. You, exactly. Thank you, Jennifer. Absolutely. Absolutely. You will never find perfect justice. And if someone skipped out on the checks, there were beatings. And I, I, I've got to go back and look at the Talmudic tradition, but I do think there was precedent. Uh, tell us in the comment section down below if, if, if you know of this. I if I remember correctly, there was precedent for people who did not pay eventually, not only beatings, but eventually capital punishment. Well, there, I, there, was a, there was a standard. You had to pay it back. I actually had an idea about that going to the conversation that we were having yesterday at lunch. You're not able to pay back your check? What do you do? What happens at a restaurant when if you can't pay the bill or this used to be something you could do? You had to go wash the dishes. You had to go work behind until you paid Correct. off the money. That's what biblical slavery is. That's a, actually, if you want to use the word indentured servant. But yes, yes, it's not the chattel slavery that we think of now. And that's exactly what indentured servitude was. Uh, we had a rigorous discussion over Philemon, Josh and I did off air. Um, but I, I think it was profitable. It was good. But so those are your three types of justice. Those are your three types of justice. So let's let's kind of think about that for a moment. We have this, this idea that prisons are something that we should do, and we should have harsh jail sentences, and we should lock people up behind bars. Look, I, I'm actually going to say something, again, that might, might tick some people off, but the left is not entirely wrong that longer prison sentences don't necessarily do anything to the person it keeps them off the street longer. And because this person is now a hardened criminal, I'd like them off the street. I'm just going to make that, that line here. But prisons are a man-made concept. They were first constructed in Egypt or, and by some of the Mesopotamian nations surrounding Israel in the first millennia BC. Link in the uh, description for this. Uh, so here's the question. Why do we not follow God's plan for law and order? Sure, there are some things that are, that are different than the Levitical law days, you know, like the leprosy laws and some of those other things like we talked about, the descriptive laws for the holy set-apart people. But the morally prescriptive laws, why 
do we change this? And before someone goes and talks about Christ forgiving people on the spot for sin, who's the one and only person who's allowed to do that? Is it the, can can I just go and forgive a murderer? No, no. God himself, or, 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 or or even an adulteress. That's that's the other, that's the other party actually. And, and God, it it, it goes, it goes further, dig even further back. Well, and that's why Jesus can forgive people because he is the injured party from our sin. Amen. Amen. David says, I have sinned against thee and thee alone when he murdered Uriah. Forgiveness is not saying what you've done is okay. Forgiveness is saying, I am not going to be bound by this feeling of hatred or remorse or whatever I'm, you know, what's holding me, the, the anger, usually what it is. And specifically with Jesus Christ, Jesus was the only one that could forgive their sins. He could forgive their sins. That does not necessarily mean that man was relieved of the responsibility bestowed on him by God. Accountability did not go out the window. Accountability did not go out the window. I just want to put that in there. So why have we changed the way we do justice? Why have we changed that way? Well, may I suggest that it is the philosophy of man. Jeremy Bentham was a philosopher responsible for what we consider the modern British American incarceration system. His primary motivation was that he was a gift against the death penalty. And he might find his belief system interesting. This fellow, uh, chair of philosophy, do you mind reading the quote from the Britannica that we have here, what his beliefs were? Uh, Sure. So he believed that actions are morally right if they tend to promote happiness or pleasure and morally wrong if they tend to promote unhappiness or pain among all those affected by them. Chair of philosophy. <laughs> yes. So now he's labeled as a utilitarian. And based on what I've read, it looks like maybe his economic works do lean that way. But to me, that quote sounds like straight up hedonism. Correct. It is it is whatever makes me feel good is the good thing to do. Now, the question that I have with that is what is your time frame? If I do something that makes me feel good right now, but in 2 hours is going to make me sick, what what am I supposed to do with that? If I do something that makes me feel good but hurts somebody else, what am I supposed to do with that? The, the the whole philosophy of hedonism is just absolutely un unable to stand up under its own weight. It's totally bunk. And just so that we're not poking at a straw man here, utilitarianism is different than hedonism, but not by much. Not by much. It's a very quick shift of the gears to get into that. And I want to go to the chair of culture, and I want to get your opinion on... What that does, if it feels good, it's morally right. If it does not feel good, it's morally wrong. What does that do to the culture? Uh, well, I know we keep saying the word, but it brings confusion because we life is about cause and effect. What you do has effect. Some are short-term effects. Some are long-term effects. Uh, for example, last week, with the, the young man that had his eyes tattooed red. Okay, you're very young right now. 30 years from now, you may not want your eyes tattooed red, but it's too bad. It's too late. 
So cause and effect. And, and that is what we don't look at in society. We look at the immediate right now. I want it now. It gives me pleasure now. I should have it now. And we're not going to think about tomorrow. We're not going to think about next year. We're not going to think about the next generation. And that right there is what you've seen occur from the 60s on. Boomers, I, I want to be respectful when I say this, but you complaining about the millennials and the Gen Xers and the Zoomers who raised them, the, cult, the, 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 the one generation that inherited a almost perfect family structure 80 to 90% success rate in marriages all of a sudden has a 50% or lower success rate in marriages. Who raised them? And what, what, what was that era, the age, the age of the 60s, the 70s, the age of the drugs and the disco and you know the, the, the hippie flower generation? And this guy Bentham, he um, advocated in addition to prisons, he advocated for a lot of those very liberal laws um, about divorce and marriage and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's all of the same mindset. There's nothing new under the sun. You think you're new? You think you're hip? And what these come down to are laws that are like no-fault divorce, like welfare that kicks the man out of the house and the woman could be married to the state, which is, by the way, if you want to look at systemic discrimination in the United States, specifically aimed at melanated families. You, you want to dig into that? That's where it goes. And so when the laws, when we have institutionalized chair politics, when we have institutionalized sin and we have codified it in law, and it is based around this idea that actions are morally right if they tend to promote happiness, what falls out in our politics? That is not, first and foremost, that's just not justice. That... If the standard for my actions and my beliefs are, I'm going to do it because it feels right, then that's a changing metric. I, I know I keep going back to this topic, but I really want to challenge you guys, the listeners here. Think about it. Do you really want a changing metric when it comes to the justice? Don't you want the same justice afforded to you today as it would have been yesterday, as it would be tomorrow, as it would be in the future? Don't you want that to be a set standard across the board? Don't you want it to be to where, okay, this happened. It was a mistake. I Oh, my gosh, I made this mistake. Don't you want that same level of justice? You don't want it to be a, a changing metric, a changing goalpost. So going to the problem with if it's institutionalized, if, it's, if, if we institutionalize a system of relativism, we're donezo. And I'm not even joking you. The country is donezo at that point. And the politics devolve, don't they? They devolve into which tribe is winning better at the moment. Well, you can't even get litigation through the systems in place by the original founders because the the systems are counterintuitive. The systems that were originally founded upon are counterintuitive to what these people are trying to push nowadays. And so guess what? You have the Senate and you have the House. Well, they're going to vote party lines, even if right. it's not a party line topic. And you can go on Provoke to Reason and find an article back there somewhere about when everything is a moral issue, nothing's political. When everything's political, nothing is moral. 
or nothing's religious, as I think the way I titled it in that article. Josh, you want to say something? I was going to say, there was one thing I did want to ask you about this prison thing, and I wanted to actually do this on behalf of the listeners, because I think somebody would ask this question. Please do. What would you do with the person who, is con- who has been accused of rape, and they are now still allowed to roam the streets in the meantime until they're sentenced? Absolutely. Jail and prison are two different things. Justice has to be swift, and you have to have an appeal process, but it can't take 20 years. That is that is ridiculous. Either you have two, and, and we're going to get to how that's meted out, but absolutely, having someone under a jail is a very different thing than a prison. Yeah, it's the difference between holding someone until judgment and punishment and making the holding the punishment. Exactly. And and, and let's get to that because we're, we're, we're it is it is time to move forward into that. So we have an example here of man going his own way with Bentham. And, and again, the Greek and Egyptian philosophers, Mesopotamian philosophers came to the same conclusions. You're not new. You're not hip for thinking that uh, the, the death penalty is bad. It is something that has been in play for millennia. But what we see here, and there's going to be an article down in the description. Some people suggest that uh, the system doesn't work as well as we like it, so let's reduce prison sentences. And again, this is because long prison sentences don't work. They keep the person who's now a hardened criminal off the street. That's about all they do. But what do we see in places like Southern California where we see the actual punishment for the crime reduced, say in shoplifting? Chaos, just rampant well, shoplifting and repeat. I mean, they're not. They're they know that I'm I'm not going to be punished. So there's Why? no no reason for me to stop. And you have a three hundred percent from this is CVS. So so take take it if you will, because they are the victim here. But they're reporting a three hundred percent increase in shoplifting, and a lot of it's probably not even getting reported. I'm going to be candid with you because some of these people are at the at the stores are just hopeless they feel there there's a mass exodus from cvs like they're shutting down yes. pharmacies they're shutting down places because there is no justice mm-hmm. so reducing the punishment might the punishment's not working therefore let's reduce the punishment it's not working that, either that, that that's <laughs> not going to work my family yes josh Something else I was thinking about with this prison topic, another issue with it, or you want me to tell you why there's also a lot of pushback on that idea of abolishing prisons. Prisons are big money. Yes. Yes. And just filling the chair of economics for a moment, you and I, Josh, uh, is there a lobby that actively wants to keep prisons in place? Hmm. When you have a Private public partnership, a PPP. I hate that acronym, uh, but 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 it is one that is used. Uh, you will see avarice creep in, and now you're making money on the inmates. And you you want to know, uh, this is uh, pseudo vice president uh, Kamala Harris, wicked witch of the uh, the West. Uh, she kept people unfairly in prison or longer because they were a valuable asset to the labor division of her state. You want to see what happens when you twist God's laws? Guess what? The issue should not 
This is not an issue of, of man-made, changing man-made policies. It's an issue of going back to godly policies. If you have a person who is a candidate for capital punishment, Deuteronomy 17.6, Josh, can you get that for me? And this should answer part of the question. But prison is a punishment. Jail is a holding place. I didn't say jails were not a godly institution. Prisons where the punishment, Jennifer nailed it on the head. Jennifer nailed it on the head. Do you have jo- uh, Deuteronomy 17.6? Yes. Go ahead and read it for us, please. Deuteronomy 17.6. But never put a person to death on the testimony of only one witness. There must always be two or three witnesses. Two or three witnesses. Tell me, you, you will find, you will find cases where there were witnesses who had something to gain. And we see that actually in the Bible, by the way. We see that in the Bible at, Je- at uh, Jezebel's table and Ahab's table, where you have two witnesses put together. Now, those two should be put to death as well. Those two witnesses, that should be the death penalty. Uh, but find me an overwhelming burden of evidence of innocent people who were put to death with two or more witnesses that were not directly related to the case. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that it'll be very hard. It'll be very hard to find that. You will find many who were put to death on circumstantial, man's wisdom, on forensic, man's wisdom, evidence. Yeah, and a quick note on that. I think bearing false witness is like part of a really important list of things that you're really not supposed to do. Like it's it's really kind of important to not bear false witness. Where I don't know where I'm getting that from. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, Exodus like, twenty, uh, maybe. Yeah, like, like, I, I, like I the think. Ten Commandments. Like the Ten Commandments. Yeah, exactly. So if you want to, and by the way, just if you want to understand the other side, if you're a conservative, think about it for a moment. Think about where the laws have been intellectually inconsistent, because we have we've picked up pagan ideas uh, more often than we we realize, and going to make an argument here. And again, if you disagree, put it down in the comment section why you disagree with prisons as opposed to capital punishment, restitution, or corporal punishment. And, I, and I'm not really sure about corporal punishment. 50-50 on that. I, I, God says it, and I think it's, you know, there are times where it would be worthwhile. You know, I think some kids really need a public whooping. Uh, you know, you, you, you see him at the store. Of the three, uh, I find that corporal punishment is used the least. Correct. Correct. It's something that was very, very specifically meted out. Uh, but restitution, I think it was Miss, was, was Jennifer or Miss Nikki said restitution overwhelmingly yes. is what is used. So in, in the Bible, historically, that's what we see. So please, two, four, seven times, depending upon the crime, please steal my stuff. Please crash into my my fifteen twenty thousand dollar SUV. Oh, no, bro, they car, don't got car insurance. <laughs> and that car insurance, that car insurance. Now they're going to have to pay that much more. Please, please go ahead and wreck me. Uh, and and I would love to get two, four, seven value five seven, depending upon what the crime is for my car. Please do that. Uh, if you have a biblical system in place. Are going to see that justice works better, and the and the way I say this is, and, and again, some people get really upset when I say this. I, I, if if you wreck someone while you're under the influence, 
that should be attempted murder. Because you knew you knew that you were getting under the influence when you get behind the car. People say, well, I, I had a DUI and that wouldn't have been fair to me. Would you have done it if it were illegal to, if that was the standard? And I humbly submit to you that you look at countries that are in the Northern Europe region that have zero tolerance policies, they still have a drinking problem, but their DUI wreck problem is at a zero point something percent. They have designated drivers. When you institutionalize godly restrictions, godly results ensue. I want to go around the room real quick because we're we're going to this is part of a several part series on justice and we're going to get to social justice. We're going to get to critical theory. But I want to go around the room just wrapping up your final thoughts on what is biblical justice and how have we departed for it? What's the rope bag, Jennifer? Biblical justice is based upon the morality that we receive from God. It is not based in man's own thinking and man's heart. And what we have now is exactly that. And because man's heart is wicked continually, we have a wicked system in many ways. So we need to look to the only one who is righteous, which is God. Base things on God's law, not man's. Chair of culture. I think a good examination of what works and what doesn't. And I think you can go back in history and you can see what, how our punishments before affected society and how they're affecting society today. Why they keep making things lean. They know it's not working. So they keep coming up with other ideas, but it's still not working. It's not working. So let's reduce the effective or let's reduce the punishment and hope that it becomes more effective by reducing it. Why don't we just reevaluate the punishment? Yes. But going over to the chair of politics, there's a value, and, and you know, you kind of feeling a little bit of the chair of economics today. There's a little bit of value in maintaining certain structures, isn't there? Most certainly, there is. You maintain those structures, you get the you get the added revenue, whether that comes in the actual form of literal dollars or in the form of labor or power or power, and you get that voting block. What is the political response? How should Christians be in politics? to write our justice system you need to get out there and well obviously the obvious answer is you got to go out there and vote come on you got you gotta you gotta do like the madagascar and movie said oh no i like the movie <laughs> oh my gosh this man be memeing but no, no, no but, 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 it's all, but in all seriousness you do need to get to moving you need to take action you need to get out there you need to I'm not going to say you have to join a pack or you have to join a lobby, but you do need to lobby on behalf of that idea of biblical justice. And I was talking to a dear brother the other day, and and I, I came off a little strong with him because he said something that uh, if you don't like the the current nominees for the general election, if you don't like the people who are in power. May I humbly suggest to you, if you are not actively working in the primaries, if you are not working on the campaigns, guys, you have a birthright saying, I don't want to be involved in politics because it's icky. There's something about someone refusing his birthright in the Bible. And he said, I would rather have the comfort of a bowl of soup. Jacob, here's my birthright, says Esau. Hmm. I, I want to be very careful how I meet this out, but I want to say that 
please, if God has given you the opportunity to be involved in your nation's rule and to set up godly politics, even if it's just voting, or if it's helping with your local uh, uh, party, be a part of changing the system for godliness and righteousness' sake. Be a part of that. And can I just add one quick thing to the political chair as a practical thing that we might be able to start doing? In the, let's call it the governmental system of the church, can we not start to implement the restitution policies between brothers and sisters in Christ within the local church? Amen. I'm going to save that for that Philemon study today. Oh my goodness. So with that in mind... Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Jennifer's absolutely correct. You should be instituting it on a local level, even if that level is just within the church. Start to employ these things in your local church. Think about how you could do that. And let us know in the comment section down below what you think about that. Thank you for joining us. Like, comment, share, subscribe, etc. Guys, we are at 27 or 28,000 downloads on the podcast thank now. Thank you. Thank you so much for your listenership. We we hope that this has been a blessing and a ministry. Share it with others. Uh, we are going to be going to video shortly. Uh, we really, really are excited about the new studio. Hopefully you'll be seeing it soon. We might uh, post some, some of the construction videos that we've been doing. Uh, we're excited. Thank you for coming along for the ride. Uh, this is episode 44. God willing, many more to go. If you did not like this podcast, go ahead and smash the dislike button twice and uh, leave us an angry comment. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Bye. Cue the drop. All right. All right. All right. So if you're still here, either you fell asleep or you did enjoy this uh, going around the room. Um, what is What is your thought on the death penalty? Do you think that there is a chance that America could reinstitutionalize it if there was a revival in the nation? Absolutely. I think that we could get back to many of the things that we feel that we've lost, death penalty included, if we have a revival of Christianity and Christian morality. And that's and I think that's the if. I think that's the if chair of culture. Oh, I don't think we're going to need a revival. I think you're going to see the death penalty uh, come back when uh, the hate for hate for Christians. I think they'll oh, be man. that'll be very justified. <laughs> they'll true. justify true. They'll justify they'll, that. They'll justify that might it. Be. Yes, that might be. That might be. Chair of politics, what do you think? My only question is, how are we going to do it? Are we going to keep the uh, the electric chair or the 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 firing squad, or are we doing this old school? I would fashion? go hanging. Stoning. I would go with hanging. I'm I'm uh, stoning's cool. Stone uh, them. I like I like hanging because the kids can see it, and I want the kids to see it. I want I want kids to know that this is what happens. What about when, a good old fashioned beheading? Instead of in, in, instead of six hundred different counts of child pornography, and you get three months in prison for it, you get hung for that. You you know you get hung for that. You you partake and you participate in wrapping up babies in tape. Or whatever the heck sick nonsense they did, you know, you get hung. You get hung. <laughs> and hanging, if done properly, is actually a remarkably um, uh, merciful way to execute it's, someone. It's if quick. done properly. It's quick. It snaps the neck, takes the 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 C one C two, rams it up through the brainstem, and 
they shouldn't feel much of anything. Their nervous system twitches, but they, they're probably not feeling it. If their legs are twitching, they're actually not feeling it. So I would say it's merciful and it makes the point really well. Uh, I think we can do it. I think we can do it. I'm not sure about uh, the hanging. I think it'll be something like the electric chair. I, I think you're right. Uh, you know, it's interesting because I just read an article where it's either, I believe, North or South Carolina is trying to go back to the firing squad because they're having a hard time getting the medicine to for lethal for, injections. Yes. For lethal injections. Uh, I'm okay with the firing squad. I just feel like that puts more people uh, in the in the position of executioner. I'm, I'm, I mean, it's fine. But uh, tell us down below what you think and give us your favorite form of the death penalty. Let's make this as macabre as possible. Oh, I'm sorry. And if it's sufficiently wild enough, we'll go ahead and share it on the next podcast and give our favorite response. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. I would prefer to uh, be hung up like a pinata. And <laughs>